God has a plan and a purpose for us, doesn't he? God is so good. He's so kind and he's so merciful. And I believe the Lord's up to something. The Lord's doing something. And uh, we must never judge small, right? Never judge little or the unseen. Or, you know, it seems like God inches along sometimes when we expect him to do it all at once. God is patient and merciful. We know that the reason that it seems slow, Peter says, doesn't say that God is slow, but it says that it seems slow is actually so that he can give us more grace and more mercy. Imagine God judged immediately every single time. <laughs> there would be nobody left. So we're so thankful that God is slow to anger and that God is doing things whether we realize it or not. Uh, it's my joy today. I'm so excited. We have a guest speaker today. He can come forward now. I'm welcoming Joe Caulfield. We call him G.I. Joe. <laughs> so may, many of you have heard me uh, talk about him in the past, so uh, you have a real treat to get to hear him speak today. It's, uh, it's a joy for me. All right, Joe. Thank you. It's awesome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Hopefully I could take this off. Hallelujah. Um, you know, I was sitting back there during praise and worship, and I didn't see where you guys disappeared. Thank you for the praise and worship. Um, it was good. I felt God's presence. Um, but this was something that, as, as I was sitting back there and I was trying to, to concentrate, I felt like God wanted to establish this right off the get-go of how much this body of believers means to him. I, I felt that, how precious. I, I just kept, I heard it a couple times, how precious um, that this body of believers is. And, and he's aware of where you're at and, and some of the, the struggles and trials that you're going through. And it's not being overlooked. It's not being overlooked. So I wanted to establish that um, before I get into this message here today. Um, because God's been giving me this message. It's been months now. And I'm like, Lord, where are you going to have me share this message? And uh, it, it's like, yeah, you know, one-on-one -on -one bits and pieces with a friend. Hey, I'm, I'm hearing this in the spirit. But I, I knew it was for a purpose, um, that he was giving me this message for a purpose. And I just didn't know it, it would be here and it would be today. But God definitely wants this word to go out. He wants to hear it. I, I feel as, as God has established how much you mean to him and how much he values you, I, f I feel a very seriousness, and I feel an intensity today. Um, and you are the right people to deliver this message. Um, so before I get going, you know, as I was preparing the, the definer details, I, I was also, I had a lot of uh, gratefulness. Uh, yesterday, as I was sitting, and I, I actually went back to my office. It's just a quiet place to hear from the Lord. And I was grateful for the godly people that God has placed around my life, um, godly people without compromise that are really pressing in uh, to the Lord in, in this hour um, that helped inspire this message that I'm going to deliver to you today. Um, hallelujah. Hmm. One last thing before I get going. Most messages that I get, they're birthed out of personal, uh, I, I would say personal experience 
in personal struggle. It's through the crucible of life, I, I always call it, that I feel, uh, you know, I could easily be sitting in a seat and preaching to myself as well. So I just wanted to establish that. So if everybody could just turn with me to Psalm 3. Psalm 3, and I've titled this message, It's Not Over. It's Not Over. Psalm 3. So let me just pray real quick before we get going. Father, we thank you. I thank you for the body of believers here. I thank you, God, this is, this is coming home. God, that, that leaders in, in this church, I, I, God, we were in prayer meetings literally that the next day after the towers fell on September 11th, that we were praying and we were crying out. We were crying out for this nation. Lord, we were crying out for this valley. And that cry has not stopped, Lord God. We want to see your name honored again in this nation, Father God. Mm. We want to see your, your principles established in this nation again in our lives and throughout this nation, throughout our government, Father God. We want to see the name of Jesus Christ honored in this nation. Mm. God, I thank you. I ask you to help me to get out of the way this morning, and I, Lord, this day, I, I'm grateful for Pastor Adam and, and Dawn, Father God, for the opportunity, God, to, to uh, share this word, and, and God, I, we just yield this pulpit, we yield this word to you, Father God, let it go forth, Father God, help me to get out of the way, and we pray that the name of Jesus would be honored today, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 3. Psalm 3. Today's title is, It's Not Over. And a little history of this psalm. This, this psalm was written at a, at a time of great personal struggle for, for King David. It was a time when his very own flesh and blood was pursuing him and driving him out from his rightful place as king of Israel. Psalm 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help in God. I'll say that again. Many are they who say of me that there is no help in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. The Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings is upon your people. Psalm 3. It is not over. As I've already mentioned, this was a time of great personal struggle and trial for David. He was being pursued by his own son, uh, who in all intents and purposes was the rightful heir to the throne. He could have been the, the rightful heir to the throne, but now no longer is, is his son Absalom at his side. He is now chasing him and trying to, with a generation, trying to drive the presence of God from Jerusalem and from the, the nation of Israel. 
And I think about that, and when I started to reflect on that and how painful that, that must have been, what a contrast. Think about this. What a contrast. Just only, only it probably seemed like only a couple years earlier that here's this, this uh, young man that marches in, into the camps of the Israelites, you know, with, with a word in his, his heart, faith in his heart, and here's the armies of Israel um, paralyzed. Fear had gripped them from a giant that they were faced. Fear had gripped their hearts, and they were afraid to advance and, and to move in, into the realm where God had called them to be. And it was this young man, David, who had a word from the Lord. He had faith in his heart, had a, uh, an experience with, with the Lord um, as he was shepherding, the, shepherding uh, the sh his father's sheep. He had an experience with, with the Lord. He saw God's power. He saw God move. And here he is. He marches in the camp, and just with a, a stone and a sling, and, and he took, him, took the giants down that, that faced that whole nation. And next thing you know, that they're, they're advancing again, and they're occupying the, the area that God has given, promised to them, to occupy the territory that God had given them. All right. David used to come back from battle. The, the, the women of Israel, it says, used to uh, come out to the streets and, and sing songs and say, David has killed his ten thousands. And, and they used to cheer him on as, as he returned from David. He was a mighty warrior. He represented, as I was like meditating on it, he represented somebody who moved with God, somebody who was in God's favor, walking in God, believing God's promises that he could do it, that he could carry out the will of God on his life. What, what a sharp contrast to somebody who is being driven out into the wilderness, you know, into a, you know, an, an area, not quite unknown, but in, into a, an area of a struggle and dryness as they were pushing forward, you know, out away from uh, Jerusalem. And it says, as, as this was happening, it says the whole nation, all of a sudden there, there was realization what was happening in, in the nation. And the whole nation started to weep. Started to weep. And, and I, I think uh, <laughs> there must have been such a sense of defeat at this moment that this was their champion. This was the hero. He, he was the, uh, the king that brought the ark of the Lord, that the presence of the Lord into Jerusalem. Um, and, and brought it from, uh, you know, the house of Obed-Edom that, that was in obscurity, and he brought the, the presence of, of the Lord to center place into their society, and they're watching it getting driven out. You know, and there must have been, a, people must have been standing on, on the side and saying, what is going on in our nation? What is happening right now? And there must have been a, a, a sense of defeat at, at that moment. And then, you know, to add insult to injury, you, if you go to, with me to Second, um, Second Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 5, it says, Now when, when King David came to Behurium, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, son of Gera, coming, coming from there. He came out cursing, cursing continually, and he threw stones at King David and all his servants and of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right, on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, 
you bloodthirsty man, come out. I, I, I think if you put it in modern day English, he, he was saying, get out of here. Come out. Come out from the, the uh, centerpiece of our society. Come out, you bloodthirsty men, you intolerant man. Come out, you rogue. He even called him a rogue. Um, and then the Lord, uh, then it goes on to say, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the, the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. I see a lot of parallels in that, honestly. I see a lot of parallels of the unrestrained cursing from, from Shimea, Shimei. And uh, even to the point of he was throwing rocks, rocks at it and pelting David's mighty men, people of a position and authority, and, and David. And he's like, come out, you bloodthirsty man. Get out. Get out of here. We don't want you. We don't want you in our society any longer. Um, you've become irrelevant in, in today's society. Um, there's, a new, there's a new order now. There, there's a new man. There, there's a new kingdom um, being established. And I recently heard a, a, a prominent elected official say um, that values are changing in, in our nation, and we must change with, with them. We're compelled to change with them. We have to give up these values, and we have to change with them. With the, with the values that are uh, progressing, as they like to say, they call it progressive, progressiveness. And um, there's so many parallels. And if you take this moment, try to put yourself in that moment. The king of Israel was being thrust from his rightful place. And there, it was a humiliating event. Uh, it was a time of unrestrained uh, cursing, persecution. And if you just look at that, if you were just say, if you were one of the people on, on the streets and you were just looking at it, it would take no faith, no faith to say it, it's over at, at that point. Just to look at it and say, it, it's over. We're, we're done. Our, our enemies are now in power. They're, they're too strong. This is unrecoverable. And I hear that so much, even in our ranks as the Christian church that this is unrecoverable. We've gone too far. Our leaders have, have cursed God. And yes, are, are, they, are a lot of our leaders nowadays in opposition um, against God? Yes. And their, their policies, uh, we have a lot of leaders that their policies and, and their positions are in opposition to God. And I hear so many people saying, it, it's over, America's finished. We've gone beyond the, the point of, of no return. I'm not hearing that in my spirit. I'm telling you, I am not hearing that in my spirit. And I always remember the, the, the song that, that was sung when the glory of the Lord hit the temple, in, in Solomon's temple, which was future to this, that God's mercy endures forever. God's mercy endures forever. I'm hearing in my spirit, if we get a hold of the message today, and if we get our eyes off the circumstances, I'm hearing over and over again that, that God desires mercy. He desires to recover this, but we have to see it, and we got to believe it. Isn't it, don't they say uh, uh, in Hebrews, um, don't they say, it, it's, it's written in the Word, um, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in, in, in my spirit, what I hear God saying in, in my prayer time today, that this is not over, 
but some things have to happen. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered uh, during this time, um, hold, check that. I, I want to read one more verse, you know, with that. So go with me to 2 Samuel 16.11. 16.11, I, I wanted to make this, this point. And it says, and David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how many who came from my own body seek my own life. And how much more now may this Benjamite, let him alone, let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. That's a, that's, it's a confusing, um, to me, it, when I first read it, it was confusing, very intriguing, saying, let him alone, for the Lord has ordered this. Um, you know, I, th I, I think that there was a couple people that still had a, a sense of uh, righteous indignation, and they wrote it, and they said, David, let us go chop this guy's head off. Let us go. Let's, we, we, we could still do this. Let's chop this guy's head off. How dare he um, say these things and, and throw stones at us? And God, uh, through David, David had this awareness, and he said, the Lord ordered this. So here's, here's the, the thought that I was saying, but I wanted to, to read that, that verse. Have you ever wondered why? As painful as it would have been, why David didn't defend Jerusalem? He goes, it would, it would have been painful because he knew eventually he would have had to face his own son. Why he didn't uh, sit there and defend Jerusalem, for God's sakes, he, he killed a, a lion and a bear. He killed the giant, um, the, the Amalekites, the, 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 the Edomites. Uh, he's a very seasoned, uh, well-trained warrior, and he knew how to lean on God. Why did David get up from his rifle position, and it seemed like without a fight, just walk up out of the land. You know, there's a lot of parallels there today, what's happening today in the nation, but I think there's parallels here today with, with the body of Christ, and I think there's a key to that, and thinking about it and, and meditating on it, and I think it was similar to what Saul was dealing with when uh, he was... Uh, uh, facing Goliath, and, and they were gripped with fear, because I feel like Saul knew that there was unyielded places in, in his life, and he, he was not ready to confront. He could not go in the power of the Lord, that there was unyielded places in his life, and, and he did not have that confidence that the Lord, if Saul stepped out of that trench, that the Lord was going to be with him like he was with David, at least in, in my mind, and that's when I uh, meditated on that. And I, I feel like when we're driven into the wilderness, sometimes this happens at a personal level, right? We, we're all there. We've all been there in, in our walks with the Lord. We've been driven in, into the wilderness. And I see it now with the American church. It seems like we're being driven into the wilderness, that there's this unrestrained cursing. They're pelting us with rocks, telling us to get out. You've become uh, uh, irrelevant in, in today's uh, uh, agenda. Um, these values are no more uh, current. We're going to move on and we're going to change with the time because the values are, are changing in society. And it seems like we're being pushed into, into this wilderness. And sometimes you got to ask, when, when you go in, into those seasons in, in your life, you got to ask yourself, God, why is this happening? Help me to understand this moment. And I've done a lot of praying, you know, for personally, for myself, you know, God, help me to understand this moment. And I, I feel that that's what's birthing this word. 
help me understand this moment, Lord. And I think that the, the key is, is found, God has brought me to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And it says it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab. David sent Joab at a time when kings should go out to battle. David sent Joab. I'll stop right there for a minute. I, I feel like a, uh, a spiritual fatigue, perhaps a spiritual laziness, entered in, into his... Uh, that's pretty good. You guys got that up? I, I don't know how you're doing it. Um, <laughs> I didn't even share my notes. Um, a, a spiritual uh, fatigue, perhaps a, a spiritual laziness, um, entered in, in, into David's life. And why didn't he go out to battle? That spring, I don't know. I don't know what was it was. You know, he's saying, "Lord, here I am in Jerusalem. That I've won all these de defeats. Why shouldn't I mentor and allow the next generation go out? Just let me let me sit this one out. Let me smell the, the roses. Uh, let me let me just relax this spring. I'll I'll catch up to them. All right. Um, perhaps he got a taste of comfort." and prosperity, and, and it kind of weakened his resolve. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the reason was why he didn't go out, but it definitely, um, I would say, it definitely took his edge from him. Uh, I was thinking, <laughs> I see so many parables, uh, parables, parallels in Today's and, and I, I say this, I say this humbly. Um, in in today's uh, American church, that it, it seems like we're sending other people out to fight, you know. Um, and we we we've kind of lost our edge a little bit. We don't feel that intensity that that we we once felt. And I remember uh, a couple years ago, Danae, my wife, she was out traveling and. Uh, her, her schedule is pretty robust, and I remember we were talking, uh, I, I think it was Friday or Saturday night, and she said, hey, can you look for a church for me within 10, 15 miles of where I'll be staying? And I, I'd still like to go to church on Sunday and just visit a church. And I, I had a rule that w when I look at churches, I'll look at churches and I'll start racking and stacking my list, uh, starting with who has a prayer meeting. Who, who is corporately praying? Who, who values that? Who sees the, the, the necessary to, to get in, to roll our sleeves up on a, on a Wednesday, Friday night? Um, and uh, so out of tw I, I looked at about 25 churches, and, and I found one. And I said, well, honey, th this is the one I, I recommend to you. Um, they got a prayer meeting going on, and, and they seem like they're really you know, pushing, pushing, pressing in uh, to God for this, this day. But... You know, it, it seems like we have entered a, a place. I don't know if it, it's America's prosperity, um, America's abundance. I, I, I don't know. But it seems like we're, like, pushing other people in, in, into the fight, our missionaries or, or whatever the, the case may be. Hey, we're glad they're doing it. We're glad they got this going on. And, and, and a, lot of the, a lot of the things that, that come up in our life are very sincere and very real. Um, but I would say a, a spiritual fatigue has set in. And, and here's where 
it became a problem for David. It says it in verse 2. I like how it says. It says, and then it happened. Then it happened. It says, one evening, David arose. He went upstairs. Um, verse 2, and he jumped on the internet. And something caught hold of him. There was something there. He saw something that he desired. And it was something that he wanted. And, and here's where I would warn you. A, a pastor told me one, one time, and I never forgot it. And that's why I'm using it in this context today. Always remember this. Spiritual laziness will always, because you'll start giving your flesh the advantage in your life. Your spiritual laziness will always lead to lust and self-indulgence. So here's David, he's tired, he's worn, decided to get up one night. He was someplace where he shouldn't have been. He should have been on the battlefield. And he got up and he walked upstairs and I said, he jumped on that internet and he saw something that he desired and he wanted. And he ended up getting what he lusted after and it brought him into a dark place, which was that dark place which would ultimately take four of his sons from him, cost him four of his sons, just in his family, and then one of those fours, four would eventually pursue him and try to kill him himself. Spiritual laziness leads to self-indulgence and lust. So here David is. I, I, I feel like that's why David didn't defend Jerusalem. I felt like he said, I have issues in my life. There's things that are not right. I don't have the confidence um, to face this enemy right now. And he allowed himself to be driven back into the wilderness. Right? And here he is going out. I think that was in, in the back, back of his mind. But also one thing that I believe that was in the back of his mind, that David was man after God's own heart. And he was correctable. Right? And it shows you even some of the sins that David indulged in, it wasn't over. It wasn't over for David. It's not over for you. It's not over for this nation. We have to catch that today. We're being driven in, into the wilderness. And there was three lessons in the wilderness, and I believe if, if we get these three lessons, that we, it's possible that we can recover what we're seeing today. And trust me, I'm on, on the front lines. It's still active duty military. I, I see policies coming across my desk almost on a daily. It, I, I can't keep up with them. And they're all, eventually this, this war is going to come. You know, and, and a lot of it is progressive moral issues. And I was like, my God, help us. God, have mercy. God, you can turn this away. And I'll shut the door in my office, and I'll get down on my knees. God, you can turn. I believe you can turn this around. <sighs> There's three lessons in, in the wilderness that David, I, I think, learned. And the first one was his separation. He, he went into a land where he, it was a land of dryness. I'm not going to belittle it. It was a land of, of dryness. Uh, there uh, wasn't a, abundance. You're, you're in the wilderness. You're camping. Um, it, it's not your, your normal routine. Uh, he was being driven into a land of, of dryness and lack. I, I would say, but one thing I, I think was in the, in the back of his mind that he remembered when he was 14, 15, 16, 17, however old he was, is like, I remember being in this place in the earlier days in my life. God met me then. 
God's power came upon me. I relied on God for everything in, in my life. His power came upon me, and I remember killing a lion and a bear, and I knew that that wasn't my ability or my authority that, that had done that. God, I can almost hear David praying, God, would you meet me again like you met me when I was 17 years old? Would you meet me again? Would you get me back to that place of separation to you, away from the crowds, away from all the, the bells and whistles and the lights in, in the city? Would you get me to that place of separation again? Oh, Lord, I would do anything to hear your voice, to have your favor back into my life. Lesson number one, separation to God. Separation to God. And, and we have to hunger for it. We have to hunger for it. We got to ask. And, and don't condemn yourself. If, if, if you're sitting here, don't, don't condemn yourself. I, I'm not really there right now. That's all right. But just ask God to get there. Just ask at least, ask God, God, help me to get there. Help me, God, to make the adjustments I need to make to separate myself out to God. God, help me. Help me. Forgive me that I'm not there right now, Lord. Lord, I willfully go into this wilderness and submit myself to this dryness, this lack. God, to hear your voice once again, to submit to your authority. Lesson number two. Lesson number two, like I already mentioned, his mercy endures, God's mercy endures forever. He got a hunger for souls again, and I, I think uh, he got realigned with his purpose. Why we're here, why we're here uh, on earth. I, I would have loved to have been, uh, Jesus, I, I receive you as Lord and Savior, 18 years old, and poof, poof, you know, off to heaven I go. You know, it, that would have been nice. So why are we here? Why are we here in, in our purpose? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Reach the lost. Be the salt of the earth. Be the influence. Represent me with, with honor. Repre lift my name. Because if, if my name's lifted up, all men would be drawn to us. I, I believe God gave David, a, David got a reset. And that he got refocused that, that my purpose here on earth Honestly, isn't my 401k, isn't my retirement, um, isn't the, my house or whatever. My purpose that God has put us here, and they're all nice things, trust me. Um, but our purpose is here to, to touch the world, to touch the lost. And I, I see where David, I was like, man, it's a hard prayer to pray. I see where David got that back, that reality, I think his purpose. And he cried out, started crying out for his enemies. Start crying out for Absalom. So, oh, Absalom, I, I, I think you, you could read it. Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom. It, how quickly I would have taken your place. It didn't have to be like this. And, and I see a softness and a tenderness to the man that was trying to kill him. Because it could have been, it really could have been through a warrior's eyes, you know, uh, you could shut off the emotion, and this is all business now. And you know what, Absalom, you crossed the line. We're now enemies, and, and they could have faced themselves on the battlefield without a, a flicker of emotion. However, something got into David's heart, and, and he was grieved over the destiny of At, uh, Absalom and his fate and what he all ultimately faced. Uh, he got the, the, the mercy of God. He started to pray for his enemies, and, and that, that one verse checks me. Um, when's the last time I've cried out for some of our leaders by name? And I was like, God, touch their life. Have mercy on them. I, 
I do pray, and, and one prayer that will, will never change, don't let their plans succeed, but have mercy on, on their soul. Have mercy. God, have mercy on, on this man, this, this woman. God, they, I don't know why they're opposing. I don't know if they see it, but if they could still be saved, save their soul. God, I cry out. There's got to be, in, in, in some of these leaders that, that we see opposing God's principles and ways, there's got to be a soul of Tarsus in there somewhere that just needs to be pushed off his, his donkey or his horse and, and have a, 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 an encounter, a face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. Right, they they got to be out there somewhere. Lesson number two, getting back, having a hunger for souls. And I remember that there was a time in Danae and I's life when, when we were young. And I remember point one and two, we, we had down pat when, when we first met and we were engaged we were completely, I, I would say, at a level of separation, which was very unusual. And I remember we went through a year in, in our life where we actually probably, I could say this with confidence, that, that we, uh, <laughs> I embarrassed her, um, that we uh, fasted more one year than we ate. We fasted more days in a, in a year than, than we actually ate. And, um, I would like to get back to that place. And like I said, now I'm sitting over, over here because I'm not in that place. And I'm not trying to replicate that moment, that uh, act, because it just came natural because we're hungry. What I'm trying to re replicate, though, is that, that level of separation. God, whatever you want. God, I, we want to see your kingdom come. And, and we both had very demanding military full-time jobs at the time in really within a, sh a period of about five to six months, I think God just worked through us uh, on a daily basis where I did, it was over 60 people that year that, that we led to the Lord. Um, there, were, there was over 60 people. And uh, I, I, I believe that event was triggered by our separation to God. And I can tell you right now, I want that intensity to come back. Am I there? I'll be completely transparent. I don't think so. But I'm crying out for it in, in the mornings. I like, God, I'd, I don't know what it'll take, but the hours demanding what I had back when I was 19, 20 years old, the hour now is demanding that, that type of consecration, that, that type of focus, um, where we were really on Friday nights, you know, we, we were witnessing it at bars. We were in prayer intercession meetings. Um, we, we had a focus. We had a hunger for God, uh, for souls, and we were separated out for his purpose. And the last thing, the last lesson in, in the wilderness, there was a man in David's court. His name was, I can't pronounce it. If you can, just let me know if I butcher it. But uh, his name was Ahiathel. Um, and it says, Ahiathel was David's trusted advisor, and he was his counselor. He sat at David's table. But yet, when the rebellion entered the land, Ahiathel, who sat constantly and was David's advisor, King David's advisor, he said he, he peeled off and he went to Absalom. I feel like God's warning us today that we need to make a conscious effort for the people that speak into our lives 
for the people that that we hang hang around and we uh, um, we open up to to that level. I'm not saying casual, you know, type thing, but for the people that we allow to speak into our lives to counsel us. This is a I I, I felt this strong yesterday as I was praying for this word. I was like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll deliver. I, I feel like God is saying that we need to surround us with people who are without compromise, who have no unyielded areas in, in their life. And I started to just yesterday sit back in my office and I started to think about this man, Ahithophel. How did he get to that place? That at one moment, he could have the complete trust of King David who represented the presence of God. And he would counsel him. And, and David probably shared the most intimate things of his heart. And all of a sudden, to, to betray him and to, and to go over to Abs Absalom's court while Absalom is defiling everything holy um, in God's eyes in public. He was doing some of the most heinous things that, that you could imagine. And I started thinking, you know, what was it? Was it in, in his life? And, and this is just what came, came to me as I was uh, meditating on Ahithophel. What was it with him? Was it a, a little game? Is like, I really enjoy the presence of God. I enjoy being in King David's court. Yet this, this part of Absalom just kind of appeals to me a little bit. He, he, he's kind of fun. It's okay to have fun and, and to have that one guy. I, I can manage this. That, that's, that's where it usually always starts, you know, we start justifying and he said, I can manage this. I know this uh, area in this person's life and this and I'm starting to become closer and closer with this person. I, I can manage it and, and still keep the presence of God in my life. I bet you that that would, uh, it, if we could watch a movie today, I, I bet you that that was uh, Ohio Fell's downfall. That it was just, there was something alluring. And it did say, hey, Absalom was charismatic. He was probably a little fun. You know, he had that charisma. He was big. He was bulky. He was strong, handsome. You know, and... Uh, there was something unyielded in the Hiafel's life that I personally feel he had unsurrendered areas in his heart. Lesson number three, surround yourself. Surround yourself with people of purpose, people of conviction, and people uh, that have no unyielded places in, in their life that are hungry for the Lord. Um, so if you turn with me, to Second Samuel, nineteen nine. Nineteen nine. It's pretty cool. I bet you it's going to be up there pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, I always thought that you would have to submit your notes and uh, anyway and like and I was like and it was a lot of work and here you are staying with me the, the whole time. Um, so I believe this event happened and and here would be the 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 punchline here today, I, I guess, the, some of the points I'm trying to get across. After those three things happened in, in the wilderness, it says, now all the people were in dispute throughout the, the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from, from the hands of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we have anointed in, in verse 10, um, but Absalom, whom we have anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? About bringing the king back. 
what does an awakening look like? And, and I have to be honest with you. In my lifetime, I, I've read about wake, awakenings. I've seen little bits here's, here and there. But for the most part, that these great awakenings that they've talked about, I haven't seen them. Right? And, and I've tarried and I labored and I was right. What does an awakening look like? And I, I think w w when you go down and you read this, it says, for some unknown reason, now all the people, they were in dispute throughout the land that they were stirred up in all the tribes saying, the king saved us from the hands of it. It, it was like there's a realization. It's like, hey, you know what? David was the one that, that saved us from our enemies. David was the one that brought the ark of the God back in. Dude, it was like all of a sudden there was a, an, an awakening from a stupor and a slumber. And uh, there was a realization, and, and they said uh, in, in verse 10, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? Why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So here David is. David gets driven into the wilderness. I believe he dealt with his points, one, two, and three. He, you know, he uh, separated himself out. He got familiar in reestablishing the purpose of who he is. And he was removed from the Ahiophels from his life. So here comes David, David back. And for some reason, there was an awakening in the land by, a, a, I would say, a divine act of mercy. It doesn't say why they said it, but there was a realization. And I think that's where the, the power of prayer comes in, that God divinely comes down and starts speaking to people's heart and said, this is the right way. Turn, turn. This is the right way. Bring the king home. Bring the king back. All right? And then uh, it, it goes down. In verse 11, it says, So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Israel. Speak to the church of America. And say, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the word of all of Israel have come to the king, to his very house. So it's like David went, went to the priesthood. He went to the church and said, bring me back. And I think there's such a foreshadow there today. You know, and I, I, I feel like that, that's what Jesus is saying now. I, I personally feel, I, I see this. I, now, I was in prayer yesterday. I saw this. I felt like the Lord said that he was on the banks of the Jordan, just like he was in, in uh, 2 Samuel 19. And it goes on, he, that, that Jesus was on the banks of the Jordan and he's waiting, and not to be deceived by what we see in, in our sight, but we don't know what people are going through out there, that the pain and, and the suffering. Um, but it, I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, as, as I was praying and, and just trying to work on this message, that the Lord was saying that there's an openness. There's an openness in, in people's hearts right now. And don't be dis deceived by, like, what's on the news and, and you know, uh, perhaps what, what some people are even saying. But I, I feel like deep inside that there's an openness, that God is bringing an awareness and he's bringing an openness as we're driven in, in the wilderness. And, and I almost hear like Jesus is like, I've arrived on the banks of the Jordan. I need the church to, to work on their issues in, in the wilderness and, and to come back, to come back and bring the king back. And I just felt like God was saying, bring the king back. It's not over. Bring the king back. Bring him back to your marriage. 
It's not over. Bring them back. Bring them back. Corporate prayer in your house, at your dinner table, the word of God at your dinner table with your children. It's not over. Regardless of what we're seeing, you know, uh, what actions are we're confronted with, you know, or what situations, it's not over. And I, I hear God saying, personally, bring the king home. We need to bring the king home. All right, bring him back into center stage. Let him cross the Jordan. Bring him home. Bring it, and it's time for the, the church in America to bring him home, to bring him back. It's not over. This could be an hour of divine mercy for this nation if we would only partner with him, believe, and have faith. Because we can look at our circumstances and just be people of flesh and say, yep, yeah, it's over. And you know what? That's spiritual laziness. Because it's somebody that doesn't really, when we say, yeah, it's over, I'm just going to try to, like, shield down and go into a cave. It, that, that's actually, a, it's a spiritual um, either fatigue or a laziness if we succumb to that. I believe God's saying it, it's not over. It's not over. Bring the king home. Bring him home. America, bring him home. It's not over. And uh, I'm just going to, at that, uh, yield the, the floor back to um, Pastor Adam. Um, amen.